So right there, there's three mistakes. There was too many partners, not getting a lawyer involved, and then not negotiating even in our own interest. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guests, I want to mention FundNetFlip because FundNetFlip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, So go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health, and they make the whole process really easy, and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out. They've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you, and on average, they can save you 400 bucks a year, and it only takes 10 minutes. Go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever. That's S-T-R-I-D-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash best ever. Hi, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. My name is Joe Farrellis, but that's not really important. What's more important is our best ever guest name, and it is David Krulak. How you doing, David? I'm doing great today, Joe. How about you? Doing really well. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about David before we get into it. He has bought and sold over 900 properties for his own personal inventory. He wrote a book. It's a 342-page book, so it's it's uh, more than an evening read, I suspect. And it's titled "How I Started with Nothing and Made Twelve Million Dollars in Real Estate." I think that's the title of our episode. By the way, I, I uh, we might as well title it that way. I think we're gonna get a lot of uh, listens as long as we deliver on it, which I'm confident we will. You can say hi to him and uh, check out his book at Twelve Million Dollar Book. Dot com. That's one two million dollar book.com. And also his company website is central C E N T R A L P as in Paul E N N L O T S dot com. He's based in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which is right outside of Harrisburg, the pencil the capital of Pennsylvania. And his favorite place to vacation is the Caribbean. So with that being said, David, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Sure. I'm a real estate author, as Joe just mentioned, and I also do speaking. 
and I'm a real estate broker, and I'm involved in real estate full-time and have been involved in real estate full-time for a long time. I um, buy properties uh, to rent. I buy properties to rehab. I do some flipping. I also do some land subdivision and development. And um, I have about 20 different acquisition methods for buying real estate. I did a, a chart of where I got my properties from. Only about 25% came from the multi-list. All the rest of them came from other sources outside of the multi-list. I go to sheriff sales. I go to tax sales. I buy REOs. I buy properties directly from um, the owners, private individuals, uh, and a lot of different ways of buying real estate other than just getting them out of the multi-list. With all the different property, I mean, 900 properties for your own personal inventory. Help me wrap my mind around that a little bit. Are those primarily single-family homes? A lot of single-family homes. Some of those are lots. I've also bought scattered lots, uh, you know, in different developments, different areas. One of the things that I looked for was I looked for lots that had failed the perk test, so they were unbuildable because they couldn't have a septic built on them. And I got them at uh, very reasonable prices and then went back in and uh, retested the lots and got them to pass perk. So we changed lots from unbuildable lots to buildable lots. So I did a lot of that. I did some land subdivision and development. We've done... Uh, one subdivision was over uh, around 100 acres. Um, I've done other smaller subdivisions also. So we've done a lot of, of property that way too. And I've bought properties at tax sale and other auctions, sometimes buying 10 properties in one day. Let's go back to the unbuildable to buildable lots. You mentioned that it fit. What, what's the test called? It's called a perk test. It's short for percolation. And in every state, they do this, the test differently. But in, here in Pennsylvania, there's two parts to the test. You dig a deep hole and look at the, the strata of the soil. And the second part of the test is you dig smaller holes and you put water in them and you measure how fast the water declines. There has to be some decline. If the water doesn't decline in the holes, you know, if it's clay-based or if there's a, a rock underlaying or something like that, then it's not going to be suitable for having a perk test there because the the effluent coming out of the septic system is not going to be able to perk into the ground. Okay. Percolate into the ground. All right. And how do you fix that after you buy the unbuildable lot? Well, I took some courses and got a state license for doing perk tests. And now I can't do perk tests on my own property. That would be a conflict of interest. But just getting the knowledge of how the test was supposed to be done, what are the correct procedures, what you can do to um, make the test run smoother, that knowledge was very helpful to me in buying properties as investments for my own inventory and uh, reperking them and getting them to pass. There was a drastic price difference between unbuildable property and buildable property. All right, so you, you take the test and you get it, or you get the state license for doing perk tests. Uh, you learn how to do it. Just in layman's terms, what do you need to do to make the water 
decline and for, you know, whatever the soil needs to be, the consistency, what changes do you make? Well, there's a bunch of different factors. There's not just one factor. One of the factors is selecting the site on the property where you want to do the test. In one or in several cases that we had, the corners weren't marked on the property. So when the test was done previously, they tested in the middle of the property because they didn't want to test across the property line onto someone else's property. So they only had the middle of the property as potential sites for doing the testing, whereas we would go in and mark the corners, all four corners of a lot, so that we could go to the edges of the lot and do the perk test. And that might be a more favorable location for doing the testing. So site selection within the lot is the first criteria. Looking at other geological features and slope on the lot, streams and wetlands, those are all issues that could affect the testing. Uh, Flood zones could affect the, the testing. And making sure that the test was done properly and accurately are all factors that enter into turning an unbuildable lot into a buildable lot. Okay, let's go with the flood zones and streams. If you know there's a flood zone and stream and you have an unbuildable lot and you've marked the four corners on the lot, can you do anything with that information? Yeah. Here, there's different classifications of flood zone. One of the classifications is the flood way, and that is the area when there's a flood situation that you have current You can't do any perk testing in the flood way, but you're allowed to do perk testing in the flood plain. So knowing where the dividing line is between the flood way and the flood plain, we were able to have passing perk tests even on property that was waterfront on a stream or a a creek or a river by knowing where you were able to do the test and where you were not able to do the test. What was the first property you purchased? I purchased a single-family house. I bought it from the highway department, which is kind of a strange source for getting real estate. I had been looking for property for some time, couldn't find anything that I liked or could afford. And somebody who I was working with told me that they were having an auction on his street, and they were selling uh, a couple houses that the highway department had bought with the intention of taking them down and using them for a highway interchange. The people that lived in that area protested that, and so the highway department redesigned the highway to skirt these houses, and they ended up with these extra houses. They rented them for seven years, and then they needed an act of the legislature and the signature of the governor in order to sell them as excess state property. I went to the auction, and I was the high bidder, I had never bought any real estate before that. I had never been to an auction before that. So it was all a, a new experience for me and uh, worked out really well. And how many years have you been investing? Been investing now 40 years. So over those 40 years, the first house you bought was unconventional, but it was a single family house, but the, the way you purchased it was unconventional. How did you transition from single family homes to, you know, converting unbuildable lots to buildable lots to developing a hundred acres? Like what, what was the transition that took place? It was an involvement. 
it didn't happen right away. But the second property that I bought was a multifamily. Uh, so the first property was a single family. Second property I bought was a multifamily. So I was open to other forms of uh, investing. And how I got involved in the whole land development and, and lots was I met somebody who was more experienced in that area than me. And uh, we started doing some work together. And he had also, prior to me, had gotten a state license for doing the percolation test. So he was very helpful and mentoring and inspirational to me to get into that area. So he helped me get into that sort of area. And uh, we've been doing some stuff. We partner on stuff, but we both do other things independent of the of what we're doing together. How big was the multifamily on your second purchase? The second purchase I bought was a three-unit, and then I bought the two-unit next to it. So I had five units all together there. And um, I just sold them about a week ago. And I sold them for about six times what I paid for them. What did you pay for them? I paid around 50000 and sold them for 300000 And where are they located? Near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Do you primarily focus in your, your backyard when you invest? Primarily, but I have owned property in about seven states. I don't do as much out of state now as I used to do. But uh, I'm still open to investing in other areas. I do like the advantages of investing close to where I'm at, that I can look at the property and drive by it and see it and feel it and touch it and make sure that everything is running the way it should be running. Do you do your own property management? For the most part, yes. I do have a property manager who takes care of some properties that I have that are about an hour away from me. So they're kind of inconvenient for me to deal with. And I've been pleased with uh, the service I get from my property manager. So let's ask the $12 million question. And usually it's your best advice ever, but we'll get to that in a second. How do you start with nothing and make $12 million in real estate? The first 11 properties that I bought were essentially 100% financed because I did start with nothing. That's not just the title of the book. I really didn't have anything. I had no savings. So I had to find ways to buy property that uh, didn't require me to put up money because I didn't have any money to put up. Once I got past those first 11, then there were other cases where I was able to buy some properties for cash and finance them and finance other ones. So I I wasn't doing exclusively, after the first 11, I wasn't doing exclusively cash. But of the purchases that I've made recently, hardly any are ever financed. I'm looking for stuff. In fact, I was out today, I looked at uh, three properties today. I'd be buying those without financing. And when we say make $12 million, is that $12 million in profit? Is that net worth? The way I figured the twelve million is I figured on the rental properties I included the rents that I received, and I also included you know, capital gains on the property. Got it. So the equity that you've built up, equity I built up, and in many cases I've sold the property, so I know exactly what I got from selling it. So it was a combination. The twelve million is a combination of, of rents 
and capital gains on those properties that I purchased. And not every purchase was a success. I wrote about it in the book on about a property that I lost $80,000 on. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit because I definitely want to hear about that one. Let's talk about um, the 11 properties that you got financing for. They were they were 100% financed, those first 11? In one way or another. How'd you do that? Well, the very first property I bought was 90% financed and 10% uh, I got from my parents. The second property I bought was about 92% financed and I had taken out a, a signature loan, like a line of credit for the remainder. I belonged to a credit union and I repeatedly would borrow the money with no, no collateral signature loan, use it for down payments, use it for fix up, then pay it back, then borrow it again. So I borrowed that money over and over again and paid it back over and over again. I had a couple properties where I got a partner who brought the money to the deal. What else did I do? I did some second mortgages. And after I started buying properties, I would you know, refinance the earlier purchases or get a second mortgage on the second on the, the previous purchases or uh, you know, a HELOC on the second purchases. So I was borrowing you know, as much as I could. Uh, on the initial purchase, plus I was doing second mortgages and HELOCs and signature loans to come up with additional cash to make up for down payments and uh, fix-up costs. So was your model you would borrow and then fix it up, then what, refinance it and do a cash out and get that money back and, and keep recycling it? Yeah, that was part of it. No, I've refinanced some properties two, three times on the same properties. And most of the time, I was lowering the interest rate at the same time, lowering the payment and getting cash out. So it was, it was, it was good times. With what you're focused on now, what takes up the majority of your time? I do property management for all the properties that I have, except those ones that I have a property manager for. I still do client work where I'm uh, listing and, and selling properties for clients. My clients are typically investors, a lot of repeat business, referral business, and first-time home buyers. I'm still doing a little bit of subdivision work, but that's kind of trailed off. I'm mostly looking right now for single-family houses to keep to rent and some fixing up and selling of some single-family houses. When you take a look at the experience that you've done why not focus on just one area like you know going back to making unbuildable lots buildable? The markets change, circumstances change. You know, since 2008, there's been a decline in the, the housing market. But in this area, at least, the decline in lots has even been greater than the decline in houses. Lots and building of new houses is more of a discretionary buy than somebody buying a single-family house to live in. So since 2008 in this area, lot sales have declined a lot, not only in the sale prices, but also in the volume of sales. How do you identify, is, are those the two indicating factors, sales volume and, would you say sales volume and what, what was the other one? And sale prices. Sale prices. Are those the two indicating factors that you use to determine where the market is? 
Those are two of the factors. Those aren't the only factors, but you know, since I do have holdings in lots, I'm very aware of what's going on in the lot market. I have some subdivisions that are in certain areas. I'm, I'm very familiar with those areas. I'm knowing what's being sold in those areas, you know, what prices they're getting for the properties, and what the volume of sales are. Sales have come back you know, since the 2008 levels when everything declined, but we're still not at the levels both in volume and sale prices, particularly for lots that we were at 2008 and before. What's a piece of advice you'd give yourself 30 years ago? I think I would have bought more properties faster if I could. You know, I started off a little slow, and I think that real estate overall has been a good investment, and I would have kept more of the properties. I sold a bunch of properties that I probably shouldn't have. I probably should have kept. And I didn't need to buy 900 properties. I could have bought a lot less properties if I would have concentrated on the ones that were the best properties and ignore the ones that were marginal or less. And how do you determine the best versus the ones that are marginal now looking back on it? How much work it took, how much I got from the properties, you know, was the work, was the return representative of the work that I put into it? No, I've had properties where I've put a lot of work into them, and then I got you know, some profit out of it, but not much. Those are the kind of properties I wouldn't like to, to repeat again if I was doing everything all over again. And I would have looked at only higher quality properties, better performing properties, properties in better areas. A lot of the properties I bought are older properties. I've owned properties that are 150 years old. Well, typically a 150-year-old property does need a lot of work. Besides single-family homes, are there certain business real estate ventures that you've done that tend to have a higher return when you compare that to the work put into it? We've got some good returns on subdivisions. Some of that had to do with timing and the market, where things were going. We had a subdivision that we sold out in 18 months. That was spectacular. We happened to catch the market at the right time. The prices that sold for were higher than the prices we had predicted lots were going to sell for. We were selling lots for uh, six figures, vacant lots for six figures. It was a really great return. A lot of it had to do with being in the right place at the right time. We, we had all the approvals right as the market was shooting up, and uh, there were a lot of buyers looking for it. You know, it, was the, it was the seller's market at that time. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Get as much knowledge as you can about the properties and about investing. Try to make the best decisions that you can in buying properties and do a lot of due diligence and try to minimize mistakes and uh, making errors. What would be some tactical ways that the best ever listeners could do that, get, acquire that type of knowledge and, and do that level of due diligence that's required? Well, one of the examples that I've already given you was me getting licensing to, to do the PERC test. You know, I did that just for the knowledge of that. Um, another time, I, 
uh, had my office located, co-located with an attorney, and um, I asked the attorney if he could have some people on his staff teach me how to do title searches, not because I wanted to get a job as a title searcher, but I wanted to know how it was done and what I needed to do to do that. So I became pretty competent in, in title searching, and the title searching and the perk licensing, those were all additional tools that helped me in real estate investing that you know, most investors wouldn't even think about getting that kind of knowledge. Yes, that's so true. Two great examples. Thank you for sharing that. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I sure am. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. What's the best ever book you've read? William Nickerson's How I Turned a Thousand into Five Million. Why is that the best ever? I think it opened up my eyes that an average person could be successful in real estate that uh, you know you didn't need to be you know super knowledgeable or educated that there's lots of things that you can do that you can start off as just a regular ordinary person and you can succeed in real estate best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it expanding my relationships people that I partnered with or people who were uh, more knowledgeable, like when I worked at the, when I had my office at the attorney's office, the attorney, uh, his 90% of his business was real estate. And they did lots of settlements and all kinds of other real estate transactions. There was a tremendous resource there. If I ever had any issues or any problems or any questions, all I had to do was go, you know, cross the hall into his office and say, you know, what do you think about this situation? And, know he would tell me so I was able to gain from his years of experience and uh, you know, learn a lot from him and partners have, have given me a lot uh, the partner that got me initiated into land development and, and scattered lots uh, so I was able to gain from the acquaintances and the superior experience and knowledge of other people around me best ever deal you've done I bought $330,000 house that was only 12 years old for $30,000. And the first tenant that moved into the house paid me over $2,000 a month in rent. And how'd that come about? Kind of a strange set of circumstances. The property was both delinquent in its taxes and delinquent in its mortgage. Uh, there were multiple mortgages on the property. It was a uh, kind of a complicated situation and when I first got it when I first bought it at the auction I wasn't sure whether it was something that uh, I was going to keep or whether there were going to be you know, court actions filed to take it away from me and we were able to prevail and uh, turned out to be one of the best properties I ever bought. Best ever project you're most excited about right now? I'm kind of in a phase now where I'd like to sell some properties and lighten my load and keep like a basic core of properties for future income and future growth. So um, I'm in this process of uh, selling a bunch of properties like uh, 
week or last week, I sold the, those apartment buildings I had, and I have some other properties under contract. I have, I think, seven properties under contract to settle within the next uh, six weeks. What's the best ever way you like to give back? Teaching, uh, writing the book. I've been to a bunch of different places. This year, I, I spoke in Manhattan. I spoke in Richmond, Virginia. I spoke in Indianapolis. I spoke at a bunch of other places around the area of Philadelphia. I like teaching, and uh, I like when people are able to ask me some questions and I'm able to share with them some experience that I had or some advice that I could give them that would help them move them along in their career. What's the most commonly asked question you get, and then what's your response to it? How did I start, or why did I start, or you know, how did I how did I get from from one to 900. I don't think anybody needs to emulate me as far as getting 900, but I think that, uh, you know, you could, if you did 10 properties in your lifetime, I think that you'd be doing great. And now let's talk about that $80,000 loss on that house. What's the biggest mistake you've made in real estate? I had a partnership with six people. So one of the mistakes was there was too many cooks, you know, too many chiefs and not enough workers and um, people had uh, divergent interest the other mistake that we made was the other side had an attorney to do negotiations for them some of my partners thought that uh, we were smart as an attorney and that we didn't need an attorney so that was another mistake and the deal that we negotiated you know, we tried to have a win-win situation you know, where all the parties win and all the parties are satisfied with the transaction after it's over. But I think that we bent over backwards and gave the seller a lot more than we should have and a lot more than they even asked for. So right there, there's three mistakes. There was too many partners, not getting a lawyer involved, and then not negotiating even in our own interest. I think that we went too far negotiating like for the seller, for the opposing party, which sounds ridiculous in itself. What's an example of where you were negotiating against yourself? Do you remember? We made some concessions to the seller that the seller didn't ask for. And I remember at one point, I forget exactly what the concession was, but the seller didn't even understand it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, let alone ask for it. So we were giving them things, you know, that were that we thought were beneficial to them that they didn't even really want. <laughs> That's funny. It's funny now, but no, it wasn't funny at the time. <laughs> it's not too funny to me now. I'm I'm still not. Uh... When was that? It was a few years ago, and uh, we ended up with nothing on it. We never consummated the contract. It was a. Uh, a house with some land and we were going to subdivide the land off. We never got any subdivision approvals and we had several extensions on the contract and finally we just kind of abandoned it as a lost cause, but we had already spent, the partners had bowed out and uh, we'd already spent a bunch of money on money given to the seller as deposits, which were non-refundable, and the developmental costs and a lot of other costs. So it was 
totally expensive a hot and, yeah. and no income. There was, there was no return whatsoever on it. We never got the property. We never got any income. We never got anything out of it. What's the best ever place the listeners can reach you? They can email me. No, my uh, website is uh, www.12milliondollarbook.com and they can email me there. Just uh, email me at sales at 12milliondollarbook.com. Thank you for being on the show and sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners and going over your, your 40 years of investing knowledge and experience and the, you know, the, the success stories and then, you know, down to the $80,000 mistakes. And I'm really grateful that you listed out those three mistakes. One, too many partners two, not getting attorneys involved, and then three, <laughs> negotiating against yourself and you know giving concessions they didn't ask for, let alone, or they didn't understand, let alone ask for. And then also talking about the good stuff, talking about, it sounds like one differentiating feature characteristic that you have is expanding your, your knowledge and relationships to identify new opportunities and what that means specifically is those two examples that you gave where you, know, you, you were buying the, the lots that were unbuildable and then you're turning them into buildable lots. So you got, in order to do that, you got licensed as to do the percolation test or the perk test. And then the two ways, by the way, to make unbuildable lots, buildable lots, two of the many ways, I'm sure, but two that we talked about, one is make sure you mark all the corners of the lot so that you can know where the site selection, you have options for the site selection to do that test. Number two is uh, the flood zones. You can, and I might, I want to make sure I get this right. In the flood way, you cannot do the test or build or, you know, do the test. But in the flood plane, you can do the test. Is that correct? That's right, Joe. Okay. And so those are two ways to build it, make an unbuildable lot buildable. And then the, I know I just did, gave a list of two, but here's the number two for expanding your relationships and going above and beyond. And that is having the office with the attorney and uh, having them, asking them to teach you how to do title searches, not because you wanted to get into the industry, but you wanted to expand and round out your, your knowledge. So we can talk about tactics all day long and you've got all sorts of, of creative ways that you've made it happen. You know, the first 11 properties were 100% financed in some form or fashion. You went into the details on the first couple where essentially your model was borrow everything, including improvement costs, improve it, then get your money back out or, or find some way of, of cashing, getting that, paying that money off and then, and then putting it to the next property. But really all those tactics lead back to uh, the foundation. And it sounds like that is all about educating yourself, rounding out your knowledge and continually putting yourself in situations and relationships that help you expand. And one of them you mentioned earlier was uh, the development where you met someone who had more experience than you and you two became partners. So thank you so much for sharing your advice with the best ever listeners. Truly learned a lot and I uh, hope you have a best ever day. Thanks for inviting me, Joe. I enjoyed it very much, and uh, we'll stay in touch.
I want to mention FundNet Flip because FundNet Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, so if you've got the deal pipeline but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, a, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Uh, the, the founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and um, what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundnetflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Okay, here's a no-brainer. Since you're a real estate entrepreneur, you know that selecting a health insurance plan is a real pain and dealing with the whole process is a pain. That's why I've partnered up with Stride Health and they make the whole process really easy and they have a personal concierge service for you to help you out. They've got a fancy algorithm that helps find the right health plan just for you and on average they can save you 400 bucks a year and it only takes 10 minutes. Go to stridehealth.com forward slash best ever. That's S-T-R-I-D-E-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com forward slash best ever.